Um, but it's a real privilege to have uh, Melissa come and share with us this evening. Um, yeah, give her a little whoop whoop. <laughs> Round of applause. Um, you know, it's been fantastic to have heard from Melissa over the, the past number of months and to hear what it is that, that God has birthed in her. Um, and I think it's, it's particularly pivotal that we're hearing from Melissa while we're um, you know, looking at this topic of being poor in spirit because I think what we've seen from Melissa and heard through the testimony of her mouth is what it means to, to actually have this humility birthed and formed in her, which I know has changed from what we've heard and, and observed so much on the inside. So it really is a privilege to hear from you, Melissa. Um, so yeah, another round of applause. Thanks, Sam. That's very kind. Um, I, this week I've been in Gisborne and um, I had to do a pepiha in front of 40 people on a marae in Māori and so I'm like, this has got to be easier than that. <laughs> so I'm feeling somewhat okay. <laughs> got my little cheerleader over there in the corner, he came along to support me which is nice. So I'm going to put my glasses on so I can actually read what I wrote. Um, so anyway, when Sam um, asked me to share about being poor in spirit, uh, I felt like I needed to share my story from the last couple of years, but don't worry, it's a condensed version. It's not going to take two years to tell you what's happened. <laughs> um, and then while I was um, thinking about this week, I heard um, a song for the first time um, on my Spotify, actually from Kristen's Songs of Glory playlist. Um, called My Rescue Story. I don't know if anybody's heard it. Yeah. So, um, and the song instantly connected with my spirit. Um, The beginning of the song starts like this. There I was, empty-handed, crying out from the pit of my despair. There you were in the shadows, holding out your hand. You met me there. You were the voice in the desert, calling me out in the dead of night, fighting my battles for me. You are my rescue story. Lots of tunes going on in here. (laughs) It's okay, I'll roll with that. (laughs) Um, And so for me, I'm just like, this is the real story. This is my rescue story. I'm just going to be completely honest about um, my journey. Um, I'd gotten to a place a couple of years ago where I was stuck, um, comparing myself with others. Insecurities were rising up and I had a resistance to what I was hearing. There was an inner battle going on within me and I didn't know how to fix it. But Jesus did. And that's where he met me, in my mess. I sat with him and I repented from my heart. I got it all out before him, just like the song says, crying out my pit of despair and he held out his hand, and he met me there. This is going to be a little emotional for me, probably. Um, the work of Hebrews 4, 12, 13, the word being active, sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrating through soul and spirit, that's where he went to work in my heart. As painful as this was, it was so necessary. What he did for me, it was described in Hebrews 4, 15, he understands humanity, for as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just as we are, and conquered sin. So now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned, to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. He showed me his love and forgiveness in my mess. And from this place of repentance, he reconciled me back to himself. He had never left me. I'd strayed from him, and he knew I needed to be rescued. And in 1 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. 
All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We employ you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I went from feeling like I didn't know who I was in him, to having my identity restored, my junk removed, and believing that I am a son of the living God. There were so many ways he did that, and I don't have time to share them all, Um, but it was a complete work of the Spirit. I felt so loved by him during the process and by others. And during the reconciliation, he has not only reconciled me to himself, but back into the body. And it was a work that needed to happen in my heart. No one else could do that for me, only him. During banquet last year, we talked for most of the first half a year about our identity in him, and we later focused on the gifts that he gives each one of us. I could hear the importance of having that in the right order, knowing who we are in him, and then out of that, those gifts will naturally flow rather than the other way around. There was a time last year, which I feel is important to mention, when the Holy Spirit prompted me in a very strong way to publicly repent to the body at the end of a banquet session. I'd gone through my own personal repentance with him, as I described earlier, but then that night he provided the opportunity for me to repent publicly. I knew I had to do this, humbling as it was, it was an important part of what needed to happen and resulted in freedom and shame being undone. So having gone through this process of repentance and reconciliation, my heart had changed and I realised that I was hungry for the same things that I was hearing, a hunger to seek after him, allowing him into our innermost being. The excitement in our spirits when we experience the tangible and powerful work of the Spirit, surrendering our will to His, and the list goes on. So He's taken me from a place of being resistant to a place of wanting to receive. I had to be humbled to be able to receive, and I'm grateful that He took the time to walk me through this. Does that mean I don't have questions now when I hear things? No. I still have lots of questions, but my questions come from a different place than they used to. As we've we've heard about being poor in spirit, it's like coming to him like a child, sitting and learning from the best teacher there is, Jesus. He knows I'll have questions, and he welcomes those because he wants me to hunger and thirst for the full life that is found in him. I want to finish by saying thank you for providing an environment that is a catalyst for change. We have to engage in what he wants to do and have hearts willing to receive what he is saying, but the life that he brings is like nothing I've experienced. Thanks. Lord, I just, I just thank you for who you are, God. I thank you for your love, your grace and your mercy. I thank you for what you are teaching us. I thank you that you are in us. You are Christ in us, the hope of glory. And I thank you that you do want us to come to you like a child, to receive from you, to hear your word, to grow up in the ways of you, God, to live out this life that is so full in you that nothing compares. And so, God, as we listen to the panel tonight, may we just have hearts to receive, ears to hear, 
and that our spirit it would engage in what we are hearing and it would, it would change us. It would be life in our spirits and that we would walk out of this place different than when we came, Father. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, Melissa. And I, I love that I, what, what, she, what Melissa said. All of a sudden, I was hungry for what I was hearing, you know? And I think, you know, as we uh, um, discuss on the panel this evening, what childlikeness looks like. To me, that is one of the foundational uh, things that childlikeness is. You, when you are born, when a baby is born, one of the first things, one of the first signs of life is hunger, you know? And so, thank you, Melissa, for, for sharing and testifying. It's just been such a pleasure and a privilege to, to, to receive from you over the last little while. So, cool. All right. Guys, if you want to jump up um, on the panel, that'll be fantastic. All right. Um, so like I've mentioned, the theme for this evening, um, obviously we're still continuing on our, our broader topic of the Beatitudes and what it means to be poor in spirit. Um, but the content, uh, the um, topic for discussion this evening amongst the panel is, is childlikeness. In, the scriptures say that you must be converted and become like a child to enter into the kingdom. And so this childlikeness is just another uh, typology that Jesus is using to describe what it means to be poor in spirit and this humble position that we need to enter into to be able to receive and learn from him. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, you can open to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Um, and we're going to read through this, Matthew 18, chapter 1 to 6. And um, we've got a couple of other scriptures to look at as well. So I'll just read this out. Verse 1. At that time the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as a child, he is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such, uh, one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Let me read that first part again. Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Interesting little passage, eh? Powerful little passage. And just as I've been pondering um, on this over the last little while, I think to me this, this sets out such a paradox to probably what we've heard 90% of the time coming from the pulpit and from our discussions over the last number of years. As the body of Christ, aren't we to be pressing on to maturity, to be a mature man? Aren't we to be laying aside childish things and, and entering into the fullness of this mature position in Christ? What do you think? Are the scriptures, um, are the scriptures contradicting themselves? And yet... Actually, throughout the entirety of all of Scripture, there's not a single contradiction in the entire um, Bible itself. In actual fact, Jesus is describing a heart posture that's actually, while it's childlike, it's actually a mature posture. It's actually the posture that those who are truly spiritual mature live in and live from. It's the place of life. It's the place of receiving. It's the place of, place of learning from Christ, not through academic study, but through revelation because of a humble heart that's postured and hungry and able to receive. Uh, the, the true eternal food source, which is Christ Himself. 
Um, so that's the, the theme that our panel here is going to be discussing this evening. Um, and we've got a number of key scriptures um, and some cool questions um, for these guys to, to cover off tonight. Is that cool? All right. Um, so what I thought we'd do is start off with our questions and um, we've got a, a few other bonus scriptures to look at throughout the course of the evening. So question number one. What does it mean to become like a child? What does it mean to become like a child? Is he talking about, like Nicodemus thought, entering back into our mother's room? Or what, what is he talking about? Um, well, yeah, it's such a good question. I love, I love this, this theme of childlikeness because it's such, so, so critical and it's something that I think so many of us as parents can relate to. Um, yeah, just as I was chewing over this, I, I had a, a bunch of different thoughts. But for me, there's, I, I was asking, what's the standout characteristic of a child? What do, you, what do you think of when you look at your own children? I mean, what is it that they, they bring to the party? They, they, they kind of look to you for food, maybe. Oh, they do. They might look to you for shelter. All of these things, but it's not... For me, it's not just one of those things. I feel like I look at my children and I go, they identify me as their source. There's such a, such a connection there where they, they don't doubt whose they are. They don't doubt provision in whatever form it takes. And they don't even have all the answers. You know, They don't go, oh, you feed me because I know this. Or There's a, there's a belonging and an identity, and it's, it's without question. And a confidence in that. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, one of the things that he's, he's saying in this is that um, I, had a, I had a passage, it's from First uh, Corinthians, where it says, uh, it talks about the wisdom of this world versus not being wise in this world. And it, it, for me, I just go, when we come to him, he's not asking us to have it all together. He's asking us for a, for a position of heart that, isn't coming from our head that's confident yeah basically that yeah. I think um, I think they just believe so I, I love that ad I haven't seen it for a while but it was to do with you know do um, there's, there's a variety of children in the ad and the parent has already told them something that you know goldfish go to sleep at 7am and now they're on Google, Googling it to see whether it's true. And then the answer comes up, like, what? And they look at their parent like, you've been lying to me this whole time because their parents have told them all this information and now they're finding out the truth. And I think that's just the simplicity. They believe. They don't understand. They don't try to understand. They just take your word for it that it's true. I remember um, one time when Madeline was about two, and she'd done something. I said, Madeline, you're an egg. And she said, I'm not an egg, Daddy. I'm a human being. <laughs> but they just take your word as is because they trust you. And I think it's... Um, but it's fascinating because as, as children grow up, they lose that. You know, they actually start to question and doubt now and there's this thing where they actually lose childlikeness because the nature in them which is in us starts to you know so I find it fascinating so I think it's ultimately that belief and it's such a back to front reality in the kingdom because as you grow you become more childlike right you, you used to be in unbelief but now as you grow all of a sudden you're becoming more and more convinced of the reality that exists in him and who you are in him, you know? It is, I don't know if anyone's seen the, the movie, what is it called, the, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button, oh, yeah. where a guy starts as an old man and then ends his life as a child, you know? It's actually a typology of the kingdom, you know? That for us, while we were born physically as children, we grow and mature as adults and become more sceptical and we think that, you know, we're becoming wise and there is a form of, you know, you know, growing up and learning things that's not wrong. But actually, this is why Jesus says you must be converted 
and become like a child because none of us, while we, while we were physically born as a child, we weren't born spiritually childlike. And so we need to be converted and be born again from this position of, um, of unbelief that infects us through Adam because it's not who we were created to be. And being born again, I, I love, Melissa, what you're saying, you know, that there's all of a sudden there's a new hunger, there's a new desire that comes, there's a freshness to what it is that he's saying. Um, and you become more soft and more humble and more teachable and able to receive when before you could only reason and accept and reject what you thought was right, but actually you've laid all of that down um, and now you've actually, um, you know, you've become teachable maybe for the first time, you know. Um, so it is, it's a, it's a complete opposite, but it's actually the right way around um, in his eyes. Hey? I think... Um like you were saying, Sam, about there's a big difference between being childlike and being childish. Um, and childish sort of speaks to me of like a lack of maturity, but that's not what this childlike position is. Um, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, Brethren, do not be children in understanding, however in malice be infants, but in understanding be mature. So it's not an issue of, of maturity or being immature, um, but childlike to me speaks of this um, form of humility and absolute dependency on, on God. Um, and it comes from that position of poverty of spirit that you're speaking of. Yeah. And the cool thing about a child is they always ask the why. You know, and, and that can be annoying as a parent at times, can't it? Because dad said so. It's not a great answer. But see, there's life behind the why. They don't even they, they do it innately, not realizing that they're, they're trying to figure out the motivation behind, and that's the beauty of a child, you know. And when you start asking the why, because the life is behind the why, we know what to do, we know how to do it, we just don't know why, and the why is the answer to life. Um, I love this little passage just before that, and even though there's a chapter break there, it's still at the same time, you know, and it says, um, when they had come to Capernaum, those that received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? He said, Peter just said, yes, straight away. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon, from whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes from their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, from strangers. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take up the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. And that, to me, is just this little story that's just out of this world. Go and do this thing which defies logic, defies what it is that you would normally do, and it's going to... I love what Jesus does. He says... This is your position as a son. You're free. The sons are free. But we're going to go there because we can and because we don't want to cause offense. And I feel like in this, because it says at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and he gives them this example of childlikeness. And Peter's just had to step out and be childlike and follow something which doesn't necessarily make sense to him because as a son, he's under the, the authority of the father. You know, and the father goes, this is what it is. This is what it looks like to be a son for me. That's really good because he, he does what God asks him to do then, but then he doesn't do it in other times. <laughs> isn't it? Which is a beautiful, isn't that? That's us. We obey one minute and we disobey the next, you know? And I just, um, you know, just as I was chewing over this, I just felt like one of the primary things for me as a child uh, is this. I just, I just wrote this down. Fully accepted and an identity never in question. And I go, God, that's what you're trying to establish in us. If we're born of the Spirit, this seed is, is you want to grow this seed. You're not growing the flesh. You're not growing me in the wisdom of the world. You're growing me according to the seed of Christ that's been placed in me. And so we're growing, like it says in John 3, so we'll tie it back to that, that unless you're born of the Spirit, you can't see the kingdom. But it's not just being born, it's growing. 
So become childlike that you can grow. Don't stay childlike in, in your understanding, like you said, but you have to enter in as a child like this because your, your way never made this happen. And that's that brokenness of spirit. And I think it's like the way that you are to enter in, the way that you are to start is the way that you are to continue, yeah, right? You know, it's, there's no other way to revelation but this way, you know? And I think that's what he says in Galatians. You know, he says, you, you foolish Galatians, having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to be perfected in the flesh, you know? And they started from one posture and then all of a sudden started to think that, oh, you know, now that we're growing up, we better lend a hand and make this happen in our own efforts, you know? But he's saying, guys, this childlikeness is from start to end. This is the posture that you're to live in and from your entire life because it's the place of receiving um, as opposed to the place of academic learning and knowledge, hey? You know? so. mm. Doesn't always come naturally either, right? Like it says, unless you are converted, so going from one way to another way and become you know and, and so often like you say as we mature in Christ we are learning what it looks like to be childlike in trust and malice and intention and, and just through process of life I mean when do we get ourselves into trouble it's not when we're childlike is it before him it's when we we know the answers we don't ask the questions or we just run off that's right <laughs> that's my story anyway um. What are we converted from? That's for you guys. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, we're converted from um, the, like, the way of the world and the way that's not of God. And um, we have to kind of have that deconstructed so in order to grow it's kind of like the opposite of logic but you have to become like a child in his kingdom in order to grow as in him but we have to um, kind of deconstruct the things of the earth in our, adult, in our earthly maturity to become mature in him can you deconstruct yourself? No. <laughs> I wish. That would be nice. So we're talking about the spirit of humility. What do we need to be converted from? The spirit of pride. I, um, it, make, it makes me think of a, a situation that we've had at work recently where we've had all of the young graduates join our policy branch and um, these are like hotshot, like really bright young kids and they've just, quali- they've just come from university where they only take people that have done well at university and people that are very studious and, um, and, you know, and, and so they arrive on the scene in the, in the policy world and they realise that actually the, the academic world and the policy world are two entirely different kingdoms you know? and you know, in, in academia it's all about what you can do and you can twist things and you know, make your essays sound great by a bit of creativity but in the policy world actually you know, doing that actually has potentially multi-million dollar consequences, you know. <laughs> and um, so we've had these guys join our team, lovely, lovely young people, you know, but uh, it's, it's always interesting because, you know, in, in my role I'm responsible for mentoring them and, and all that sort of thing and they, they come so confident and when I'm trying to give instruction it's almost like they know what I'm trying to ask before I've even finished getting the words out of my mouth. And I often offer to have some safeguards along the way, some checks and you know checks um, to be able to look over their work. And they often they they feel like they don't need it. They're confident just to go ahead and do it. And I just I was in a conversation with one of these young guys, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was just speaking to me about. Um, this was before we started, you know, planning to look at child likeness. But in that moment, I, I felt like I'm whispering. I said, "Man, what I what I need from you is actually not your capability; it's your humility right now." You know, um, because 
in order to teach you, I don't need what you know. I can help shape and mould you to be able to be a competent person. But actually the biggest hindrance for you right now is, is the fact that you think that you know when you don't know, you know. And to be able to actually enter into this kingdom, you need to let go of everything that you've been taught academically and learn a brand new way and it comes through humility, you know? And so your greatest attribute right now is not your qualification, it's your ability to let go of that and to learn and enter into this new way of operating. And to me, it's a typology of the kingdom, eh? That God doesn't need our natural capability, He needs our vulnerability and our humility and our teachability to be able to do a divine work in us that human hands can't do and human intellect can't achieve. So how does that happen? How do you go from the spirit of pride, which we all are, to the spirit of humility when you can't do it? So there's a physical typology. Someone can go, okay, Sam's told me I need to come with a different posture of heart. But I can't do that in the spirit. I can't make myself humble. I am pride-filled. I can't go, I'm going to be humble today. It don't work. So how do you convert from this is where we're all born to here so you actually can enter into the spiritual kingdom which starts at poor in spirit. How do you go from there to there when you can't do it? That's a question to all of us. What causes the revelation? Should I just hold it? (laughs) Okay, the seeking doesn't cause... What actually is it that we need that causes the revelation? You can't get revelation without something. No. Well, you need to be vulnerable. So you're vulnerable to see you're seeking. But just because you're vulnerable doesn't mean you're going to get revelation. What is it that births the revelation? No. That's how you become poor in spirit after you have. There's something. I think it's this mercy that just confronts you and turns out where you are and forces you to see that you can't do it. What brings that mercy to light? Because you can't see mercy till this thing brings it to light. What rose him from the grave? It's the power of God. Paul said, don't rest your faith on what? The wisdom of man. Man's ability to bring himself into life. Don't rest your knowledge of God, what you're going to need to bring it, rest it on my power. So it's the power that enters in, crushes you, brings you into life. You've now been converted from being pride in spirit to poor in spirit. Now enter into the kingdom. Yeah? So it's his power. And that's what brings us to our knees because you can't do it. I can't do it. It's his power alone. So would you say that the power is, is the word of God? <laughs> yeah, well, the word of God is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is power. The word has power. It's the spirit of truth who has power. But it's the power that rose him from the grave is what we need to receive. That's actually how you get saved and born again, yeah? You can't... You can't get born again through an articulation of your mind you need to be born again by a new power because it births you into a new realm and it's birthed in you by the power that rose him from the grave I think someone Chris might have said it's not an intellectualism this is not intellectualism this isn't see you can't rest your faith on your ability to figure this out You will bamboozle yourself. God hasn't given us that. Why? So you actually become the real deal. It's his power. That's why you need his power. That's why Paul said, I want to know the power of your resurrection. Paul didn't go, "Mm, 
think I'll become a Christian today. He was blinded. It started the process of becoming poor in spirit because now the man has to rely on others. He's never relied on anyone his entire life. He's the scholar of scholars. I am the man. I don't rely on nobody. Now all of a sudden you have to, someone's got to hold your hand and walk you into Damascus. Three days you don't eat because you've been apprehended and arrested by God. Nothing internal has happened yet apart from he's physically binded. Yeah? He's physically binded. He is not born again. That's all that happened on the road to Damascus. He did not get born again on the road to Damascus. He got born again when Ananias came and laid hands on him and something fell from his eyes and he saw and he got up and he started preaching the gospel. Was that a decision or did he receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon him? Acts 1.8. So he then became a child up until this point. He was the most arrogant dude on the planet thinking he was the man. And he got lowered and started now as a child going this. I presume to speak nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. That's all I know. I don't come to you and share testimony because I don't have any. You tracking with me? 1 Corinthians 2, Paul's reliance on the Spirit. The first thing he says is I don't come share testimony. I got nothing. All I got is Christ and him crucified. I've started again. How cool is that? And then he started, and what you're seeing is him unfold his testimony throughout his letters. But we need power, and it's not our power. Hence he said, how do I have to come to God? In weakness. That's not natural for man. Come in weakness because my grace is sufficient for you. My divine enablement is going to get you. Well, if that's the case, then you will strengthen me from within, he says. So then when I'm weak, I become strong in what? Spirit. I was strong in the flesh. I go through a process. Before I'm strong in the spirit, I've got to be weak. Otherwise, forget it. You're still full of self. Pride. You'll try to figure it out. And this is the crushing. This is the process that we've got to go through. And he holds our hand as he walks us through it. Where are you going? Come back here. <laughs> I want to run away. You know, That's what Melissa was giving testament to. My flesh wants to run away. But something's bringing me through. And he shows and he gives. And all of a sudden he starts to open up a realm and his power. And you're going... I know this isn't me, but it's happening in me. And all of a sudden, you're now entering in and seeing everything that's in the concealed realm. And I think to me, Paul is such a good typology because he wasn't born like that and he didn't live like that. But he became, you know, to me, his life screams of, you must be converted and become like a child so that you can enter into the kingdom of heaven, eh? You know, like here's a man who in no way, shape or form was a child before this conversion, you know? That he was so capable and so bright and so learned that he was the very opposite of childlike, you know? And so I think for a man to then utter the words... Actually, I, it's, it's in my weakness that I'm strong shows this powerful transition eh, from one realm to, to another. So, And he never left that, eh? Yeah. He never left that. Yeah. You know, like you're saying that he says, because I look at that, that passage where he says, three times I sought the Lord that he might take this thing from me, and he said, my strength is perfected in your weakness. And he had the maturity of childlikeness, to embrace that and go, actually, I receive that and I will live and run with that, not try to go ahead so that I can be wise because my flesh is still having its way. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content. Yeah. Yeah, therefore I am con- well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. What a reality. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And, oh, and then keeps going. 
I have become foolish. <laughs> you compelled me. Oh, we don't need to go there. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a reality, man. And and for me, that all comes from that point where Jesus says, unless you are converted. And that converted to me is such a powerful word because when something is converted, it goes from one thing to another. It's not that anymore, if it's converted. You know, if you if you convert a barn into a house, it's not a barn anymore. It used to be a barn. And that's the... There's, there's such a, a, an exchange that takes place there. And I, I feel like that's the prerequisite to becoming like little children. Like, unless this exchange takes place, you're converted from one thing to another, you can't become like, but that's part of the process. And, you know, I think for, for, for so many years, the gospel has been preached as other people need to be converted. But actually, the context that he's speaking in is to Pharisees and to his disciples, you know? And so the people that need to be converted and enter into this way is not just people out there, but is talking about entering into something now that's for us as, as the body, eh? See, what happens is when we don't experience the power, we create the midpoint. So it's like when you give, when you go, in, when you go to Cambodia, you go get your New Zealand dollars and you get American dollars. They're not a New Zealand American dollar. It's an American dollar. Trying to use New Zealand dollars in Cambodia is a waste of time. It, you don't access what's there. You need American dollars to access what's there. Hear what I'm saying? Okay. When you don't experience the power, we create the midpoint. And we create our own version. And we live from it. But it's powerless. So we never come into the life because we've created the midpoint. And we do this because we address it psychologically. Not here, here. I'm not in that. There must be a problem, but it's not me. No, actually, well, you're not a problem, but the problem is you haven't yet received the power. And it's the power that takes you from here, and you go past the midpoint, called the fence, and you land in the paddock on the other side. You don't want to find the fence and sit on the fence. It's called lukewarm. And it's your own version of the truth because the power hasn't taken you from being a New Zealand dollar to an American dollar. Do we have any questions before we move on to our next question? Any questions? All right, we'll be stopping for questions in five minutes. (laughs) So get your pen ready for the next round of questions. All right. So the next question I have for the panel is, so it says you must be converted and become like a child to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So what is the kingdom of heaven? What What are we to enter into? Is he talking about heaven when we die or what is it that he's talking about? It's a um, pretty hard one to put into words, eh? I was just like, how do you describe something like that? Because it's uh, a substance that you live from. Um, and when we're born again, it means to be born from above and born from, from another place. And it's completely detached from the earth and the things that are in it. Um, and that's how Jesus always spoke. He said, my kingdom is not of this earth, I'm not from from this earth, I've come down, I'm the bread from heaven that's come down. Um, and it's and it talks about being pilgrims and sojourners, temporary dwellers on this on this earth. Um, so it's yeah, like I say, it's it's a hard thing to put words to, but it's like this this power within you that you're living from something, you're seeing something that's unseen. And living from that as opposed to what's in the physical and what's in the temporal. Um, and I was just reading through Hebrews 11 at the moment. And this is an awesome example of what it means to live from seeing the unseen and not being um, sort of affected by the external. It says, through faith, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, 
became valiant in battle, turned to flight the army of the armies of aliens. And it's just this long, long list of people that had um, been living from something within them. They'd seen something that was so much um, greater than what was in the temporal. Um, so for me, that's that's what it is. It's it's living for something outside of what we see and hear now. It's an unseen, invisible realm, hey, that's to live within us, you know. And I think these, these men of Hebrews lived from, from this kingdom within them, eh? Hey? And, it, and it changed the way that they lived here on the earth, eh? Hey? You know? So. <laughs> um, I'm struggling with answering this question because I have an intellectual understanding of it. Um, I believe that there's a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, and I'm, I'll try and try and articulate that the best that I can. Um, <laughs> struggling with that. Actually, I'm not even going to try and answer that. Greg can answer that. <laughs> <laughs> Suicide pass. Here we go. There's the bomb. I think um, it. I mean, there's questions around that. Is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven the same thing? Some people believe they are. Some people believe they're different. Okay. My personal conviction is they are. You can look at scriptures and you can certainly find references for the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven speaking about the same thing. Then you can also find references for the kingdom of heaven speaking about the kingdom of heaven directly. Okay. So my conviction is. In certain aspects of the scriptures, you can go, they are talking about the same thing. It's talking about his kingdom within you. Okay, So the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is being formed within your heart and your mind. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's not a physical kingdom. And it's where the dominion of Christ, the authority and the lordship of Christ is being established in us. Okay, In our hearts and our minds. Then the kingdom of heaven can come through us. So we are then the ambassadors of this kingdom. And so there's things like healing. Um, there's there's the, the aspect of what you see Jesus do coming through. So as it is in heaven, it is on earth. And so you see healing. You see the preaching of the word. You see people getting saved. You see people growing up in the Lord because the kingdom is within the church. So our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come firstly is in the church. So it's in the vessels called the church. So the kingdom, the king and the kingdom are being established here and here. Because Chris and I and we are becoming sons of the kingdom. Then that kingdom is established through the church. Okay, Not businesses, it's a spiritual kingdom. So we're seeing people casting out of demons. We're seeing people get set free. We're seeing other people become the church and then have the kingdom established within them. It's all still a spiritual thing that gets manifested through a spiritual people and it physically enters this earth. Tracking with me? Cool. Then when Jesus returns, he will establish his literal kingdom for a thousand years upon this earth. Now it is a physical kingdom on the earth. Okay? So up until this point it's a spiritual, excuse me. <coughs> it's a spiritual domain in us through us. When he comes back with his bride and his saints, they will establish his literal kingdom on this earth where he will reign out of Jerusalem. That is my personal conviction and that is the fulfillment of the kingdom of heaven literally now on the earth because the king of heaven is on the earth. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> that, was, that was a really good articulation of that. So I totally believe that. That he was in... The kingdom of heaven is only really spoken about in Matthew. And Matthew was primarily speaking to Jewish believers who were looking for a kingdom to overtake the Roman kingdom. And so... What I what I heard then, which I which I thought was articulated really well, is that it's spiritual with a 
determination that at some point it becomes a physical reality. But the kingdom of God is what he's talking about building within us, and this has an expansion as it takes land physically as well, obviously. Totally. And I think, to me, you can't separate physical and, and spiritual. You know, like when, And when you start to, to read through the parables, particularly in Matthew, there's, he talks about this kingdom and that the reality of the kingdom now actually determines the reality of the kingdom that's future. You know, and I, I, you know, I was read the, the parable of the centurion and um, the, um, the centurion comes to Jesus and his, um, his servant is sick, I think on his deathbed or something like that. And he, he comes to Jesus and, and asks him for a healing f- for the servant. And Jesus says, yep, cool. Um, and the servant says, well, actually, I'm unworthy to come under your roof, but just say the word and, and, and he'll be well. And so this, Jesus is like, right, sorry, I'm butchering the story. But the centurion says, um, you know, I'm a man under authority. Um, I know what it means to be in authority, and I know what it means to be under authority. So don't bother yourself coming to my house. Just say the word, and it will be done for your servant. And Jesus looks at him and says, man, out of all the people I've met, I haven't seen this much faith in all of Israel. And he says to him, you will, sit down at the, um, you will sit down at the banquet table in the kingdom of heaven with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so here you see a reality of a kingdom that's now of, of belief and faith that's been established in a man here and now, the kingdom on the inside. And he says, because of what's been formed in you now, that will take full expression in a future kingdom. It's called the physical kingdom of heaven, the reign of Christ. He says the kingdom now actually relates to the kingdom in the future. And because you have entered under, you've come under my authority now, you'll be able to reign with me in the future kingdom. And so the two kingdoms are really one kingdom, but there's an expression now and there's an expression future. That's our inheritance for those that are faithful and obedient and become children. This is why it's so essential that we allow him to go to work on us through his power because this is our inheritance. We've been called to reign with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to establish rulership with him. And, And this is something that I had no understanding of until God took me aside 10 years ago and said, let's go for a walk. Zero. And a lot of Christians don't. We just think saved, heaven, bingo, kumbaya, sing it on clouds. There is way more to this than that. And this is why the Jews, they got their times mixed up. Okay, so when Jesus comes back, the king that they're expecting is the king that's going to establish the literal kingdom on the earth and deal to the Roman Empire. So when he comes as a servant, they're looking, well, you can't be the Messiah because you're supposed to be a reigning king because that's what we read. But they missed the scriptures that said he was going to come, die for everyone's sin, he was going to be this and be that because they were only really looking at the ones they wanted to look at. That's what happens when you see through the flesh and not the spirit. Because they didn't have the spirit, so they couldn't see in the spirit because they were of the flesh. So they saw the scriptures through the flesh. When the one of the spirit turned up, he says, you search the scriptures because you think there's life in the scriptures, but you're missing me. And so because you miss me, you think I'm coming like this. That's in the future. I've come firstly as a king, yes, servant king that has to die for the world. Well, that's foolishness to us. So they reject their king. But he's coming. He's come and he's coming. And so we have been granted to know the mysteries. God said, these guys messed it up. I'm turning to the Gentiles. And through the Gentiles, I'm going to make these guys jealous. So then they'll turn. So we got one shot too. Let's not mess it up like the Israelites messed it up. Let's enter in and become like a child but you can't unless the power of God propels you into that and then you enter in and all of a sudden all this now the inheritance that you're looking at which is concealed to the flesh you can see it and you see it I can see it like there I say right down the corridor and beyond I've seen her 
And that's what we've been speaking for 10 years. The finish line. Do you know the finish line? Are you running in accordance to the finish line which is in the unseen? You have been granted to know the mysteries. You've been granted to know that you've been called to reign with Christ. You've been granted to know and establish on his throne with him to those that what? Overcome. You will sit with me on my throne. Revelation. But it's in the unseen, isn't it? But we're to be the people who see the unseen, not live in the seen. Because we're people of faith. But if you're resting your faith on the wisdom of you, you ain't going to see. If you're resting your wisdom on the power of God, and the power opens up the realm, because he said, come here, I want to show you something. He didn't say, come here and figure it out. He said, come here, I'm going to give it to you. Man, you run. Woohoo! Good news. You better believe it's good news. You run and you drop your life, you lay hold of life, and you run. It's good. Because <laughs> it's a good night, man. <laughs> and I think because life itself is heading for a much greater climax than what we can just see and touch and feel, right? You know? And I think to me, this is, this is why. Looking at this is so important. It's not just be about becoming a better person. Actually, all of eternity hinges on us entering into this kingdom life, right? Um, and so, oh, sorry, Chris, you. And so I think like there is this such a synergy between what God is doing now and the full expression that this kingdom life will take in the future, you know? I, rem- I remember reading a-, a number of years back, there's um, a guy called John G. Lake, and he put in his little book an interpretation of tongues. And someone had been speaking in tongues, and another person interpreted it as one line that just hit me. And it-, and it said that earth is a school to prepare you for glory. The lessons you learn, you will always obey. Um, and it-, it went on, and it was a beautiful rhyme to it. But I was like, man, this, you know, earth is a school to prepare you for glory. And what you learn here, here, what's formed in here, this eternal life now, will will be everlasting, you know. And the qualification for that life is is being formed and outworked in, in, in this, you know. And so, all of a sudden, life now takes on a much greater meaning, you know. And the challenges and struggles and trials and family life and work life and everything that um, you know could be such a grind, all of a sudden has meaning and value and purpose because the life that's being formed in you now through those things is of greater worth than gold, hey, you know? I feel like when you start looking at it through those eyes, all of a sudden the parables really open up to you because so much of what Christ is talking about in parables is about a future kingdom. In fact, so much so that they... They don't make sense outside of this context, right? I remember sitting down with Travis. I don't remember if anyone knows Travis, but we used to talk for literally hour upon hour when I wasn't working. And and when this stuff started to open up um, to me, I just remember we were sitting outside the gardens and I opened up Matthew and we went through the parables. And my reference point to that to that time had been Jesus has come to forgive me for my sins so that I could go to heaven when I die and I thought that the entire context of the scripture was about my justification and we started and we went through and I was like surely this one is about justification and he's like no it's actually about sanctification and we went to the next one oh surely this one is about heaven when we die actually no this is about your transformation we went to the next one and the next one and every parable we went through it's talking about a kingdom now and a kingdom future it's talking about an internal realm that has an a future um climax in eternity that is so much bigger than life now and it just absolutely blew my mind and it brought so much purpose and meaning to why I exist you know is, is there any, I'm, actually I'm not an accident my life has been set in a much bigger context than just life now you know um, and, and so I would just I would encourage you if, if there's 
you know, coming away from tonight to really seek him on what it is that you've heard from, from this discussion because there's, there's so much in scripture for us to discover and there's so much gold um, to, to dig out, um, you know, in, in, in terms of these parables and what it is that God's speaking. So yeah. I, just, I just want to pray. And then I just want to read the scripture, but I just want to pray for us because what we're talking about, um, man, I'm doing cartwheels on the inside. I'm trying to stay on this chair, but it's profoundly mysterious and deep, but can be known. And prayer and seeking is the only way to it because he has to open it up to us because it's not on earth, but it's on earth. He said, my kingdom is at hand. It's right here. Take my hand so I can show you it and open it up. So, Father, God, I thank you that, Lord, I never thought we would be talking about this stuff. And I thank you that we have arrived at a place as a family that we can talk about this stuff. Your eternal purpose for us. The depth of what it is you really died and gave your life for to reconcile us to and the inheritance that awaits the saints, your sons, your children. Father, I pray tonight, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here to bring to light and life what we are saying. You are here to reveal all truth and to lead us into the whole counsel, the whole purpose of God, that we have been called and chosen for a life worthy of the gospel a life that is not earthly but heavenly, lived out on earth for a period of time and then for eternity with you. God, I thank you. And I pray you would open our ears to hear and our eyes to see your spiritual word that is being released here tonight. God, I pray we would go back and marinate ourselves in what is being uttered, the utterances of heaven. God, may we not despise the prophetic utterances that are being uttered tonight from heaven to earth, even though we're on earth. Lord, this is a deep word of the Spirit, and you open it up, and you give us, and you show us in the Spirit, and we receive it in our spirit, and the power of it enables us to live in an alignment to it because we've received it. And I pray, God, that we would do everything in our own power to position ourselves until we receive. Our lives, I'm telling you, your life will never be the same. The things that you struggle with, you'll laugh at. You'll go, why was I hanging on to that load of rubbish? This is why he's given to us to lead us into all truth, to be our teacher. This is why it says we don't need a man or a woman to teach us. He is the teacher. Come to me. I want to teach you. I want to show you great and mighty things you don't yet know. So call out to me, Jeremiah 33, and I will show you things. Seek first my kingdom. Seek first my commandment. Seek first me. And I will bring to light and life everything contained within me. God, we thank you that we, oh, you are building this in us. And I just want to read this. This is from 2 Timothy, and just in relation to everything, because he says this. He says, this is Paul. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, Timothy's the one that Paul said, I haven't found another like him that is kindred with me and actually looks after others' interests. Out of all the people Paul dealt with, he said, I haven't found one like this, like himself. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life 
so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. It gets better. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended of David according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. Are you ready? For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. At the judgment seat where the reward is handed out, make sure you receive your reward and don't come short because you didn't live the life here you were called for because you didn't take the time because you are wrapped up in civilian affairs. You've been called to reign now and the future. To establish his rulership. But it has to happen in us. And we are all full of pride. You are born the most pride-filled evil person on this planet. And he had to come to save you from you. And with his power into you. So you can become the very thing you were predestined to become before you were even born. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, everyone. I feel like there's been so much there for us to go away and meditate on that. For you know, fear of overload, I think we'll leave it there. <laughs> um, but but do go and listen, go and listen again to what um, to what we've been dialoguing about tonight, and seek Him. Go, open up the Scriptures, ask the questions, ask the questions of what of one another, what they're hearing and learning and receiving, and what it is that He's speaking. Is that cool? Yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>